This is the Business Central Manufacturing Show, and I am Martin Karlovich. Hi folks, today I'm with Paul Hogendorf. He is an incurable entrepreneur and has founded, co-founded or helped launch numerous ventures over his 30-plus year career, including most recently Freepoint Technologies. Freepoint's unique technology captures and delivers real-time productivity information, connecting plant floor manufacturing processes directly to managers and operators in innovative, practical and cost-effective ways. Prior to that, he founded TPI Associates to help entrepreneurs and business leaders leverage the power of imagination, insight and inspiration. Through this informal organization, valuable collaborations have been formed and new companies have been launched, including most recently Freepoint Technologies. Paul is also a founding member and past chair of the London Region Manufacturing Council, LRMC, and a regular contributing columnist for a number of industry publications. Hey Paul, this intro alone gives me ideas for a zillion of questions and I'm glad that you're here with me today. Welcome to the Business Central Manufacturing Show and thanks a lot for being here. Hi Martin, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today and I look forward to your questions. Now let's start with the first question. I actually looked through your LinkedIn profile and recognized that you recently reacted very positively on a post regarding gamification in the workplace. So what is gamification and how can it be applied to manufacturing? Okay, well, that's a very broad topic, but it's a very important topic right now because manufacturers the world over are struggling to engage young people and get young people excited about their work. So if you think of it this way, you think that young people have been raised playing video games where they get feedback all the time and stimulation all the time. And our factory floors quite often are different where people are told to do a certain job for a period of time without any feedback at all. Gamification is basically providing, I'll say, a visualization on stimulation to make you part of the process, to give you feedback, to make it exciting, to create endorphins. And it's really meaningful to everybody, but it's particularly meaningful to the young people that have grown up with that kind of feedback and stimulation their whole lives. So the way you phrase it, it seems that this is more than just like having on the whiteboard the number of days that they produced without a mistake, right? So what is behind this override? What is it what they should go for? What kind of feedback should they get that it makes them kind of more positively looking at their job to do? Very good question. So, so I'll say right off the bat, yeah, feedback is important. Um, how many days without injury is important. How many parts you produced this shift is important. But gamification is really more about making things real right now in real time, not at the end of the shift, not at the end of the week. It's about uh, basically uh, giving, creating a sense of meaning and value with the work on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Typical feedback loops on the plant floor are by hour or at the end of the shift or the end of the week. But gamification, no, you have to make it immediate. It has to be immediate feedback, immediate sense of accomplishment, immediate reward. I could go a little further on that and say you also have to make the feedback more meaningful. What I find on plant floors typically is the feedback given to the people doing the work. Those are, It's feedback that are meaningful for managers or for engineers or for department leaders 
but the feedback that's given to the people doing the work is often not actually meaningful to the operator themselves. Gamification means finding a way to make that meaningful to the operator, to make the value-adding activity of the work being done meaningful. You mentioned two points. This is feedback being meaningful and feedback being in real time. Let's look at them one after the other and let's start with meaningful. I found it re quite remarkable that you said that the feedback should be meaningful for the people on the shop floor and not like dashboards or conventional KPIs meaningful for the managers. So what are examples of meaningful indicators, meaningful KPIs, meaningful statistics, meaningful numbers, meaningful drivers for the people on the floor? Right. Okay. Very good question. So The natural thought when you say this is, well, how many parts did I produce in the hour or how many parts did I produce in the sh shift or what is my tack time? But what's meaningful to the operator, more importantly, is I'll say how many minutes in the day or how many minutes in the hour or in the shift have they maintained a regular rhythm and cadence? If you look at productivity improvement data, you'll see that that is the most important factor is maintaining a constant rhythm and cadence. And it's basically those are lean terms and, and, and flow terms. So what we do or what I try to encourage people to do is rather than feedback, boring, mundane information that's really not meaningful to other people, feedback that information as you're maintaining that desired rhythm and cadence of that process, whatever the process is, give them some way to score themselves that they are maintaining the right rhythm and cadence for that process. Did that help at all? Yeah, absolutely. And would this include like leaderboards that people can benchmark themselves to other shifts and co-workers or would this be too much of a gamification? No, that's a great question. So there's actually two different lines of uh, schools of thought on that, and both are valid. The one is competitive, one shift against another, one cell against another, one group of individuals against another. And that is the first, I'll say, conclusion that most people come to. But if you look at it a little bit deeper, and if you study some of the video game players, and if you look at your kids, for instance, in their teenage years when they're playing video games, A lot of the times, those games are collaborative games. They're not playing against each other. They're playing along with each other, trying to achieve a common goal. So I see gamification actually morphing that in that direction where you're getting a group of individuals to collaborate with each other to maintain a rhythm and pace and contribute towards an end goal towards one another. And then perhaps that group is competing with another group that day shift group is competing with the night shift group. And if you do it really, really well, and you make this a really, really compelling activity, what you could have happen, and this would just be the ultimate outcome, you could have the people on the day shift, when they're at home checking their phones and their tablets and playing whatever video game that they're playing, checking the score at the same time of the shift they're competing with and watching the shift they're competing with play that in real time. I mean, that's, that's the extent to where I think gamification could and should go on the factory floor. I agree with what you said in terms of individual gamification versus group gamification, because actually I have teenage kids and I see them play two types of games. The one is, um, obviously we are in Germany, the one is FIFA, so this is football or soccer playing against each other. 
So this is individual competition and they play it intensely, but they always feel being stressed when they play it. And then they have other games where they meet online with friends and form a team or a tribe or a squad or whatever. And then they work against or play for achieving a joint goal. And this always seems to be at least observing them less stressful and be more fun. And they seem to have more patience to get through it because they try to achieve something with the same team. And this brings me to the second element that you addressed earlier, and this is real time, because especially if you try to achieve something together with a team, and maybe even now some of the teams may not be in the same place, then real time becomes more important. And the thing that kind of raised my attention is that you put that specific or this particular attention to it, because in my observation or my assumption was that Actually, real-time information is the criteria or the main characteristic of the shop floor because in the kind of in the world where I live and how I look at it, we look at ERP systems that have master data and transactional data and point of time data, but they are almost never real time. Then my company is engaged in scheduling and scheduling is planning what is going to come. And then typically my area of expertise intersects with the shop floor and where it intersects with the shop floor, then we get real-time information. And we used to have real-time information like with barcoding solutions and with clock-in, clock-out solutions for quite a long time, actually, when it came to the shop floor. So why, in your point of view, does the shop floor still struggle on not only providing real-time data, but having real-time data? That's a, that's a great question. Why, with the technology the way it is, uh, why we settle for it the way it is, is, is sometimes uh, beyond me. However, this is what I'm going to suggest. You mentioned ERP, you mentioned different elements of, of software. When you get to the ERP level and the CFO level, they're looking at quarter by quarter. When you get to the plant manager level, they're work, looking at month by month. When you're getting to the department management level, they're looking at week by week. When you get to the supervisor level, they're looking at day by day or shift by shift. And all of those people generally have information feedback that gives them the feedback they need to make decisions to their job at those levels, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, even by shift. But where the information system generally fails is giving people doing the actual work feedback. And those people, they don't care about how things went last week or how things went last month or certainly not how things went last quarter. The only thing that matters to them is how are they doing now? So that's the other important point of gamification. It really has to address that. How am I doing now? Don't tell me at the end of the shift that I had a bad shift, or don't tell me at the end of the week I had a bad sh had a bad week. The morning, my, the moment my shift is over, I'm disconnecting my mind from my job. So don't tell me that I had a bad shift. I don't care. You have to tell me now. That's the mindset of the um, people on the plant floor. It's far more immediate than the interest, the data interest of the, the plant manager, or the division manager, or the corporate CFO. And this then prevents companies from looking at this immediate data because up in the hierarchy, they don't have an interest in this? Yeah, I think that that's pretty much what it is. Sometimes they fail to realize how important it is 
for people to have feedback in real time or how, how much difference it makes. So the tendency in North America anyways is to collect information over longer periods of time then look backwards and apply some intelligence and try to say, how can we make things better going forward? However, if you gave the people actually doing the work their own feedback in real time, they start modifying their behavior. Now, instead of collecting information about how long you had a downtime period, that downtime period starts becoming shorter all by itself because the operator is paying attention and getting feedback, um, keeping score, playing the game, so to speak. They've actually modified the behavior. So the downtime that you're measuring starts getting smaller. So I, I uh, skipped over your answer. The answer is in my mind that the higher you get in management, the less aware they are of how important minute-to-minute, real-time, meaningful information is on the plant floor. They sort of assume that everybody is motivated by the same thing they are, by profit and loss, a healthy company, sustainability, guaranteed employment. Yes, the worker on the plant floor is interested in all those things for sure, but those things don't motivate them hour by hour. But then if, let's say, the corporate decision makers either don't understand the value of real-time slash gamification type of information or do not have this in their core interest, what what could be done to get there? So could gamification become a kind of a side product of an IoT solution, for example? Uh, great question. And I have to I have to, you know, admit that that question has kept me awake for seven years now. So as you said, we started Freepoint in 2013 based on this idea and we have developed this idea, but every introduction at a at a company level is um, a start from scratch kind of sales job and it's considered i'll say a soft science where manufacturers are very tactile people they want hard sciences and hard facts and figures and, and this is a soft science how we've been able to get a good start is we've been able to convince some people to try one work area or one cell and provide a very rudimentary form of gamification in one work area and one cell and the results have been astounding in one case, as soon as they put the feedback board up, uh, productivity increased 23%. And then management was skeptical and they said, yeah, that'll be a short-term blip on the radar, but next month it'll be back down to where it was. No, 30 days later, it was 32%. I've watched that particular company now for years and it has the rates at which it's grown as often as, as obviously declined, but it has never gone backwards. It has continued to go up a quarter over quarter. So, so that's what I say to folks is to say, if you don't believe it, um, find a cell with six machines or more. And I say six machines because you need a bit of critical mass. Without critical mass, the flywheel doesn't start spinning. But start with the cell. Uh, first thing you would do is you would connect an IoT device to it. First thing I would tell you or ask you to do is collect your baseline data for 30 days without feedback. Second thing I'd, I'd suggest that you do is you find a better unit of measurement that's more important to your operators and and you know companies like Freepoint and there's others out there that can help you um, define what that meaningful unit of measurement should be and then after 30 days explain to the people doing the work what that feedback system is and what that unit of measurement is put it out there live real time and watch what happens and I'd be a, I'd be surprised if if you didn't see an uptick in a steady state manufacturing plant I'd 
I'd be surprised if you didn't see an uptick of 10%. And in a high mix, low volume plant, I'd be surprised if you didn't see an uptick of 25% just by giving that feedback. That's super interesting because actually you spoke about a recipe of introducing new technology into a manufacturing customer. And you especially mentioned the high mix, low volume type of customers, which tend to be the smaller job shops with a high velocity in everything that they do. And your recommendation is that they also with new technology like, like IoT should start small, so literally walk before they run. So Is this recipe, in your point of view, an overall recommendable strategy to help these kind of companies with technology adoption? Oh, for certain. Uh, for certain. So, again, you need a bit of a critical mass. And, and in those, I'll say, I'll describe typical um, customers that fit into that, into that uh, role. A typical customer would have a few XY cutters, plasmas, uh, laser cutters. They'd have some uh, bending and, and punch presses. They might have a couple band saws and maybe uh, a few CNC milling machines. So that would be like a typical composition for a high mix, low volume kind of shop. Every single one of those machines can be connected the same way and the metric for every single machine can be the same. And that's basically the metric would be value adding activity just start keeping track of value adding activity on all of those machines and whatever and whatever it is that they're doing and uh, establish the baseline and after you've established the baseline of what normal looks like for each of those machines now you introduce the feedback and then after you introduce the feedback see what happens so That those are the first, I'll say, three steps of the recipe that, that we suggest people follow, regardless of the size of the shop or the type of shop. And then there's follow-on things that you can do after that. But I'll wait for your questions, Martin, and I'll see where you, where you take me. Yeah, this kind of recipe for applying new technology, do you see it resonates similar with the same type of companies in different areas of the world? Or do you see differences in companies adopting new technology based on where they are? Well, up until now, uh, up until this whole world uh, situation, there has been some very noticeable differences in my mind. And And, and, you know, just take this uh, not as a scientific study, but just as my exposure and experience with uh, industries around the world for about 30 years. So North America has allowed, up until the last couple of years, North America has allowed their manufacturing industry to atrophy. So North America has a lot, a high a lot of older machines and a wide variety of machines that are, are I'll say, individual and disconnected. Uh, Europe has tended to be a lot more intentional on their machine purchases and a, a lot more focused on having newest machines and connectable machines. Uh, so so that's, that spoke to the adoption rate that even though the North Americans were interested in a quicker adoption, they weren't able to adopt as fast because they had a wider variety of machines over a wider range of ages and the europeans were able to adopt a little faster because you know standards industry standards and buying the same brand of machine on uh, the same type of machine has been has been their pattern more often in asia it's been a different story again because in asia it's it's Capital cost is a big thing and labor costs are very, very low or have been traditionally far lower. So their solution has been typically, you know, throw more labor at it. But even that in Asia is changing as well. Um, so after the, after COVID, uh, I, I see a lot more 
intentionality on the North Americans to get caught up and get connected. And I see actually a, a lot more intentionality in, in the Asian nations to start paying, I'll say, um, middle-class buildable wages. Um, all of the areas, though, however, struggle with the same thing. And the thing that they struggle with is attracting and retaining a young workforce. I hear those complaints and grievances from companies in China. I hear them from companies in the States, from companies in Mexico, from companies in Canada. Uh, they're they're all struggling to attract and retain a young workforce, which suggests to me that all of these countries and all of these regions will be very interested on gamification because I see that as being the way to actually start to make manufacturing attractive again to the next generation. And then if you say they struggle to attract and retain the young workforce? Do you just refer this to the people on the shop or do you also refer this to people that are more in the back office functions? I'd say it may be throughout the whole organization, but it's most uh, acutely uh, a problem on the plant floor. I'll say the hands-on um, hands population is where the, the struggle is uh, most acute. And so what is the most likely strategy to solve this? Is this gamification and a better work environment? Or is it robots taking over the human work? Well, you know, you can correct me on this one, Martin, because you're probably a lot closer to me. But up until COVID, the Western European notions seem to be take the hands off, work off the plant floor and replace it with automation. Uh, that hasn't been as strong a thing in, uh, in North America. And uh, even though there is no resistance to automation, there's also no rush to try to get rid of hands-on workers because there's a real, I'll say, sort of grassroots movement to bring manufacturing back because because uh, the society as a jet in general wants to have those hands-on jobs back. Um, in Mexico, I see that I see that really, really significantly that uh, a lot there's a lot of work created for hands-on workers. They're struggling to fill all the jobs that they're creating and automation certainly has a place. And, but, but there too, I think they see, I mean, big picture wise, they see that there's a role for those kinds of jobs and, and those kinds of jobs create family wealth or middle-class wealth. They, they help. I'll say build healthier communities because not all the kids are going to be doctors or lawyers or engineers. There's going to be a significant segment of the community that the best income earning opportunity that they're going to get is going to be at a factory with meaningful work that's paying a livable wage. And, and I agree. I have totally agree and I see some of the similar notion taking shape here and also some of the similar developments taking here in Western Europe. And I would also tend to say that this gets accelerated right now thanks to or due to COVID because overall my assumption is that supply chains will get shorter, which means that you will replace the low-cost Asian labor work by some maybe even higher cost, but then also more valuable local production in in smaller shops that, like you say, contribute to the uh, to the overall um, economy and and society. Now let's let's move a little bit away from general technology and from the shop floor, and and let's move a little bit to the the back offices processes. So in this process of gamification and in this process of adopting new technologies and in this process of changing how manufacturers work like what do you think is the role that an ERP system can play 
today? And what do you think the role of a modern system like Business Central should be in the future? Yeah, very good questions. Um, so, so if you look at most plants that I'm in, or if I look at most plants that I'm in, they have a bunch of individually created business solutions. The quality people have their own SPC system. The productivity people have their own OEE system. The maintenance people have their own MRO system. The people that quote jobs have built models. And the interesting thing about all of these individually built systems is they're, they're all they're all, they've all been refined to be really, really effective at doing what they're doing, but they're not interconnected. So because they're not interconnected or they're not effectively interconnected, you start end up having a lot of, of duplicate uh, manual entries or you start getting a lot of different names for the same thing or you start getting a lot of delays. You have to wait to the end of the week or the end of the month for the information to be merged together. So a really good uh, ERP deployment stitches them all together, puts them all on a platform where, where individually those areas have access to the information that they need in real time, but all the information is shared and it's on a common database. So it, as the quotation gets changed, perhaps the order, material orders get changed, and as the schedule gets changed, the work orders get changed. And as the machine incurs downtime, the downtime is attributed to, against that job. All of that stuff is connected together and with an ERP. I think actually this was a very, very interesting and, and compelling closing statement for this podcast because it brought together a lot of lines of thoughts that we followed. I learned a lot and I got really a new perspective on gamification and the components of meaningful feedback and real time and how important this is for the people that you deal with. But when, if I transfer it to the people we deal, we deal with, then they have not that short term horizon. But also if you look at scheduling, this is also a shorter term activity and they are looking at shorter term. So I definitely will give it a thought of how gamification could work in a scheduling solution. So I got inspired by your thoughts and I would like to thank you very much for this. This was. Really a nice conversation. As I said, I learned a lot and I'm pretty sure we will repeat it. Thank you very much, Martin. I really appreciate uh, being on this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Business Central Manufacturing Show. 